Do you ever catch yourself wishing you didn't have to stay positive? Or maybe you've been working on keeping a positive mindset for years, but it still feels like a daily battle sometimes. Having a chronic illness means you're being told to stay positive all the time. And let's be honest, it's exhausting. Because pushing ourselves to stay positive is not actually positive. There's a much easier way to get a strong, positive mindset and all of the feel-good perks that come with it without the pressure of looking on the bright side. Check out my free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset. In it, I give the straight scoop on strategies that work and common strategies that are a waste of time and energy. Go to andreahansencoaching.com now or use the link in this podcast description and get your free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset, today. Have you ever heard about a type of therapy for the first time that maybe you had never heard about, but other people are raving, saying it's really helped them, like maybe a type of massage that you've never had or a new way of meditating, and you've thought to yourself, what the hell, right? I'll give it a go. I'll see what happens. It can't hurt. It might help. Let's see what people are talking about. That was me when I went to my first acupuncture appointment years ago. I admit I didn't find total relief from it like other people had, but I tried other therapies that this particular clinic had, like craniosacral massage, and I found a few therapies that really, really worked, even if I couldn't really explain what exactly was happening. What they all had in common was it was energy work, and I would not have believed in it if I hadn't tried it myself. There's quite a few therapies that work with energy, and this previous skeptic finds them all pretty fascinating, and some of them really, really effective, which is why I'm really excited about this week's guest, Amanda Dahl. Amanda has had a long journey with Lyme disease, and it wasn't just her, it was her entire family that was affected, and she's also had other diagnoses and illnesses in her life, and she found energy work along the way looking for different therapies and things that could help. And now she and her husband have their own practice, offering many energy work therapies and coaching for people with Lyme. So in this week's episode, Amanda gives us an introduction into holistic healing, exactly what energy work really is, and how it can help. So please enjoy this week's episode and visit andreahansencoaching.com for more on Amanda Dahl, resources we talk about in the show, and transcripts from today's episode. You can find the link in the episode description. Welcome to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm Andrea Hansen, author, motivational speaker, and master certified coach. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I was told I would never reach my goals. But I did. And I'm on a mission to prove that life with a chronic illness can still be expansive and quite remarkable. Everyone has their own unique path. I'm talking to people living with a chronic illness that come from different backgrounds, have different points of view, and are achieving amazing life goals of all kinds to inspire you to achieve what you thought was impossible. These stories are raw, uncensored, and judgment-free. Listener discretion is advised. I'm here with Amanda Dahl. Amanda entered the holistic health scene after her own intense journey with chronic illness and eventual remission from Lyme disease. With her gentle guidance and fresh approach, clients who have quote-unquote tried everything 
enjoy accelerated healing and renewed hope. Physical, emotional, and spiritual needs are considered as Amanda leads clients to a life of health and new possibilities. Amanda and her husband, Christopher, co-own Doll Holistic Health, where they use energy healing, health and soul coaching, muscle testing, energy sensing, somatic exercises, and mindset work to activate people's vitality so they can thrive. Welcome, Amanda. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for having me, Andrea. I'm great. How are you? I am great. I am so excited to talk to you about all things energy healing. I was really excited because I don't talk about that a whole lot. And I know some people love it and want to hear more about what you do. Some people are completely skeptical and they're thinking like, Andrea, why are you talking about this? Right. (laughs) And I want to talk about it a little bit more because I think it's something that people know, but they don't necessarily know the specifics of it and like really what it is. We're going to talk all things energy healing, but I first want to hear a little bit more about your health journey because you said it was intense. And I think what makes it a little bit different is that it's not just your journey. You weren't the only person that was having this illness. It was your whole family. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild. Uh, My personal health journey started literally at birth. I was born with a hole in my heart, had my first open heart surgery at four years old, all kinds of health issues. I'm just one of those people. I had all kinds of health issues. And then in my late teen years, I started having just a lot more unusual symptoms that typically people with Lyme disease experience. I was having a lot of vertigo, a lot of digestive issues, migrating arthritis kind of feelings. Oh my gosh, such headaches, night sweats, rashes, you name it, all sorts of strange things. And and my husband and I, we met when we were 15. So we've been together for a long time and he was starting to not do so well either. And by now, like fast forward a couple of years, we're in our early twenties, we're now married. um, And he was falling apart in different ways. He was having a lot of issues with his kidneys. He was also having migraines, constant neck pain, like neck pain all the time for him, a lot of gastrointestinal issues. And this went on for us for, we went back as far as we could remember the more Lyme kind of symptoms. And we attracted back to 18 years from the time that we were diagnosed. And it was just, it was wild. A lot of tests and I had a hysterectomy. It was just symptoms were so bad. And of course it didn't alleviate any of the pain. And it was just a really long road. And in in the middle of all of this, we had a child not Mm. knowing that we had Lyme disease. It was just, there was a lot. Those that have an illness that's difficult to diagnose oftentimes experience this where you see 20 some odd doctors, you're being recommended, oh, why don't you see this specialist? And why don't you see this specialist? And at one point in everybody's journey, it's inevitable that, well, have you seen a therapist? You go on some anxiety medication because this is a lot of anxiety that you're experiencing. And it's like, I'm having anxiety because I'm sick and nobody seems to know what's wrong. So that went on for 18 years. And then my son was actually diagnosed first because he was diagnosed with autism. And in the diagnostic report, they had done a lot of blood work on him, unbeknownst to us, some of the blood work that they just ran a quick panel on. And he actually tested positive on one of the tests for Lyme disease that typically people 
it's only about a 40% chance of getting a positive on. This particular test miss, misses a lot of um, positives. And he actually did test positive. And when we went to work with a doctor for him on more of the autism stuff, the doctor happened to be Lyme literate. And she said, tell me about your health. And she looked at my husband and I, and at this point we still weren't diagnosed. Hmm. And, um, and that was, you know, 18 years into this. And we started telling her and she's like, your son tested positive for Lyme. I think you all have Lyme. And then, you know, here we go. That was the beginning of our journey. Okay, so I'm curious because Lyme comes from a tick bite. Is that correct? Is that the only way you can get it? That's one of the ways that you can get it. You can get Lyme disease from any vector insect. So mosquitoes, fleas, chiggers. Um, you can get certain infections that come along with Lyme disease. You get them from... If you've ever heard the song Cat Scratch Fever, yeah. that's actually a co-infection that a lot of people with Lyme disease have. It's called Bartonella. Oh, interesting. Um, because you don't just get Lyme typically, which mm -hmm. is it's, the bacteria is called Borrelia. You typically don't get just Borrelia. You also typically will get, you know, Babesia, Bartonella, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, tick-borne relapsing fever. There's all these like mixes of things and some people get a lot of them other people only get a couple of them like it's a total it's a total kind of wow. a crapshoot as to what you get but yeah so ticks, much bigger than i thought it absolutely is they're also finding that there is some sexual transmission it they're finding evidence now that it can be passed from mother to baby and we have consulted with three different doctors that feel that is what happened in my son's case. They also feel that he has Lyme-induced autism. So there was a lot of things that kind of cascaded with this diagnosis for us. Okay, because I was going to ask if it was that you passed Lyme down to your son or if it was just coincidentally he happened to get it. Yeah. Himself, but it sounds like he had it. He had it. And what we think, Andrea, we think that he was bitten by a tick and it was reactivated because when yeah. he did test positive, he was, there's ways that they can tell, is this an older infection or a newer infection? And he actually lit up on, on both parts. Mm. So they were like, this was something that was already in his system. And we did know that he had a tick bite when he was almost eight. So we knew that there was a tick bite there and we think that reactivated things but he had characteristics of Lyme since birth. It was very interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's quite a journey. And I want to specify that it's not just any tick bite. It's not just if you find a tick, you're going to freak out because you have Lyme. It's if the ticks are infected with Lyme. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and there are places that people tell people, if you find a tick on you, it's very easy to just want to get rid of the tick and flush it down the toilet or mm -hmm. throw it out the car window or whatever. But I tell people, save the tick because there are organizations that you can send the tick to and they can test it to see what does the tick have, because that can be helpful for the person who's been bitten by the tick because most people don't get that that bullseye rash that they talk about. Most people don't actually get that rash. They mm. estimate only about 30 to 40% of people get any kind of rash on their skin. So I tell people, save the tick. The other thing about the rash that I just want to say is, if you have that bullseye rash, 
that is indicative that you have Lyme disease. So it is imperative that you treat. Um, the sooner that you can treat, which is usually antibiotics, you would go to your primary care, tell them that you were bitten by a tick, that you have the bullseye rash, and ask them for antibiotics to try to treat as quickly as possible because we don't want it to go deep into the tissues and then have it become a chronic issue. Because it is, it's a bacteria, right? It's a bacteria yes. infection. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Borrelia is a bacteria. And mm -hmm. then there are some other things that you can get that are viral and all sorts of other things. But usually that rash is indicative of the Borrelia bacteria. So the earlier yeah. that you get it and the earlier you treat it, the better. The better your chances are of it not going chronic. 85% of the people, if they have a tick bite that they know about and they see that rash and they have antibiotics right away, 85% of people will, they'll be okay. But mm. there's 15% of those people that um, it will continue, the disease process will continue and it will develop into something deeper. So that's why I tell people like, it's really important. And if, if the doctor says, oh, we don't have Lyme around here or those sorts of mm. things, because that's very popular worldwide for patients to be gaslit on that, I tell people find another doctor. Yeah. Um, it is imperative that you treat as fast as possible. Yeah, I know. I think it's different now, but I know for a very long time in my state, they didn't have Lyme. Mm -hmm. And so even if you said, hey, I think I have this, they literally wouldn't, they would refuse because they're like, we don't have it. And it doesn't matter if you were like maybe vacationing in another state <laughs> and got, didn't matter. And so you literally would have to go to another state to get the test or send yeah. it away somewhere because the doctors were just dug in that, nope, we don't have that here. It's not, that's not it. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of people in our medical community, again, worldwide that still feel that way. Oh, we don't have, we don't have Lyme disease here. Um, it's important for people to know that Lyme is in all 50 states in the mm. United States. And it has been found in every country with the except, exception of Antarctica. It's just something that isn't talked about enough, but it is the fastest growing vector illness in the United States. And um, I just find it so fascinating that nobody was talking about it for so long. Like it's just, to me, it just doesn't make sense. It's like if it's something that majority of people can be treated with antibiotics, which, you know, are prescribed for everything anyway, <laughs> why, right. why is it still so hard? I think it's hard because in the medical community, there, they didn't know a lot when people were first getting sick with Lyme disease. And Lyme disease has been around for thousands of years. Like they found it in the Iceman that they found, like they, that the Iceman had Lyme disease. Wow. But, you know, these infections, just like COVID, right? COVID morphed into all these different strains. Lyme disease does the same thing. And it's very strong and, and it's very hard to treat. Um, but I think that there was just such a lack of information in the beginning. People didn't mm. understand. And then people really thought that it was isolated to more of the New England states. That's why it's called Lyme disease, because originally it was a group of children in Lyme, Connecticut, that they all came down with these arthritic symptoms at the same time. And they realized it was caused by a, a tick. So it they thought it was isolated to New England for many years. And of course, it's not. And there's different strains depending on what country you live in and what part of the United States you live in. 
so much information out there. And also the In- Infectious Disease Society of America, you know, they kind of, that group of doctors feels, you know, oh, some antibiotics and you're done. Mm-hmm. There's another group of doctors out there that they're called ILADS. It's a Lyme disease organization, but doctors that are under ILADS feel that we there's still a large population of people that need more than 30 days of antibiotics. They need long-term therapies. And a lot of times it involves alternative treatments. So you're talking antibiotics, but maybe you're also talking IV therapy. People do things like oxygen deep dive therapy. Sometimes people do hyperthermia. So there's, and that group of doctors believes that this is like a crisis in the medical community So there's a little bit of controversy there. So I tell people, cut through the controversy. At the end of the day, we want you to get better. We're thankful for our doctors if they can help us get a diagnosis, which in some cases that's difficult. But if they're having a hard time, I tell people, let's find you an ILADS doctor, you know, somebody that can give you the testing and that can do some long-term treatment with you. Um, several doctors have lost their licenses for treating people for long-term Lyme disease. So that's another reason why there's some controversy in the medical community about it. So I just, you know, I tell people, let's cut through that and let's just get you the help that you need. Because here I am sitting here, like, I know both sides of the coin. I don't want people to spend their time getting upset about the controversy. It's let's just get you the help that you need. And I know the resources to do that. So now that you're with me, let's Let's get you the help you need. Which one helped you when you finally got that diagnosis? Was it the antibiotics antibiotics that worked or did you have to do a lot of other therapy as well since you had been living with it for so long? That's a great question. For me, Andrea, I'm allergic to so many antibiotics. That wasn't a treatment option for me. Mm. And by the time they figured it out, I was in a, I was, they call it chronic Lyme disease. So I, I'm in a chronic state. So I had to really look beyond conventional medicine because I couldn't go that route at all. So I started working with a naturopath who was very well versed in herbs, which really piqued my interest in herbal medicine because I learned all of the herbs that treat the Lyme and the different co-infections. And I went on to school to become an herbalist so that I can make recommendations to people for their own herbal protocols. I also used essential oils and I know that there's a lot of people that are, you know, essential oils and, but, um, you know, it is a type of herbal medicine Mm -hmm. and I used oils as some of my antimicrobial treatment because they're very potent. So that was a route for me. And then eventually I did get into energy medicine and I can dive into that a little deeper as we talk, but that was really the thing that kind of brought me across the finish line was doing multifaceted approach to healing from this because I had been sick for so long. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a matter of 30 days of antibiotics and we're done. I couldn't do that. Yeah, Which, I mean, by the way, 30 days of antibiotics is no joke. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. And there, even with that guideline out there, um, even a lot of doctors won't even prescribe that long. Yeah. So, But you really need a little bit of a longer term because you've got to get into the life cycle of the infection itself, yeah. the bacteria itself. So you need to take it for a little bit of time. She can wipe out that infection. But yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your mindset while you were going through this, because you were seriously affected yeah. for a very long time and you were 
going from specialist to specialist, trying to figure out what's going on. What helped you throughout that period or or was there anything that helped you while you were going through that? Yeah, such a good question. Um, I think what helped me was that I loved my husband and mm. I wanted to get better for him and I know that he wanted the same for me. And then when our child had all these health challenges, it was like, okay, now we have we all have to get better for each other. And that helped me to hold on, just having just people in my life that I love so fiercely that it's like, okay, I've we've got to find the answers to this because it's Lyme disease is very hard to find the answers, even when anybody that's been through it, when you are diagnosed with Lyme. And I make this as a joke with my clients to lighten things up a little bit, but it's really the truth. You go into a research rabbit hole because blessing and the curse of Lyme disease is what I call it. The blessing is that there's so many different ways to treat it, but the curse is that there's so many different ways to Mm. treat it. And the hard thing is finding the right combination of treatments for each individual person. And we end up with an honorary doctorate in how to treat Lyme disease. If you ask any Lyme patient that's been in it for a while, they can probably tell you 15 different treatments that they've done right off the top of their head. So it's a matter of finding those right combinations. And that's that's what it became for me. It almost became a puzzle. How can we solve this? What's the next thing? And I think the thing that was really helpful was that I understood because I was a patient from the moment I came out, I had health things that were going on. And I understood that when it comes to healthcare, there is no quick, easy fix. There is no magical pill that you're going to take. There's no magical treatment that's just going to take it all away. And I think my understanding of that kept me going because I knew, okay, if I do this treatment and it gets me 20% of the way there, that's 20% better than I felt before. And that's going to get just give me that fuel to keep on going because I had a child to take mm-hmm. care of in the middle of all of this, right? So I think that whole combination of things was really what fueled me to keep going and to keep learning and to keep trying different things. I think that's a really good perspective to have because I think if we're looking for that one thing or that one doctor or even sometimes that one diagnosis and put all of our hope into that one thing, it can be devastating when it doesn't work or it doesn't come or it's the wrong diagnosis. And it can be so hard to bounce back often the many times that's going to happen while you're looking for, especially if it's a hard to diagnose issue. And so looking at it from the sense of, okay, let's just get the whole idea of one pill, one treatment, one diagnosis. Let's just take that whole thing off the table and just start with that understanding that it's going to be maybe multiple things. And Mm -hmm. if one works a little bit, that doesn't mean that it's failed. It means that it worked a little bit and let's go from there. And I think the other thing to to address when it comes to Lyme treatment is that aside from that little bit of antibiotic that you might be able to take if you're lucky and caught in the beginning, um, none of this is covered by insurance. Wow. So Lyme disease is, on top of being 
physically and emotionally devastating to the body, it is devastating to the pocketbook. And I speak from a place like it's not lost on me that I had privilege in this because I I had money saved. I had credit cards that I could use. I had resources. And a lot of the clients that I work with, they don't have that same kind of pool of resources like that. Some of them don't even have a family support system because it's mm-hmm. another thing that happens is that a lot of people just, it's a drag being around sick people, right? Mm-hmm. So people just walk out of your life or fall out of your life, not only because they, you know, they're not trying to be rotten people, but it's just, it's hard to watch somebody that you care about going through that. But I think a lot of times people don't know what to say. Then, you know, you're sick, you're broke, you're alone, you're trying to go through all of this. What I did while I was treating, because it, we, it was three of us, I documented everything. I documented what worked, what didn't work, why I felt that maybe something didn't work. Um, you know. And then as I've gone back and looked at all of that through the years, I'm like, oh, wow. If I knew then what I know now, I would have known nev- never to try that particular treatment, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. But I'm able to help steer people take some shortcuts. You know what? The return on this is typically very small for people. So if you just move to this instead, um, Mm -hmm. the other thing that happens is there's so many supplements that people end up taking in this journey because there's multiple phases of treatment that you have to do. And sometimes what happens is people are diagnosed and then immediately, whoever the treating practitioner is, they'll just put them on antimicrobials right away, whether Mm -hmm. that's herbs or antibiotics or whatever the case might be. And the person gets even sicker. And it's, you know what, if there's anything that I've learned in this journey, you have to pay attention to draining your lymph and being able to detox your body before you start taking things to kill all this off. Because otherwise, all those toxins are floating around and they're reabsorbing. So those are the things that I've learned in this journey that I can save people a boatload of Mm -hmm. money and trouble, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, by saying, let's do it in this order. It helps people a lot because financially, people very oftentimes will run out of money and then they're doing bare minimums. They're not taking maybe the doses that would be therapeutic for them. And they're just hoping and praying that those minimal doses of just a couple of things that they're taking are going to get them over the finish line. And unfortunately, that's usually not the case. Mm. It's just there's just facets to all of it. There really are. And it yeah. sounds like it sounds like there since there are so many facets of um, treatment, there's also a lot of facets of how it affects each person. My, yes. Right. It sounds like everybody's going to be different. How did you know that you and your husband and your son all had the same thing? Or did you not until you got tested? We well, my husband and I suspected we didn't realize that maybe my son had Lyme, but we suspected that we did because we had done tests for everything under the sun, you know, that the MRIs for MS and, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. all the blood testing and everything. And there's this one particular test. It's considered one of the gold standard tests for Lyme disease. And even then, it's probably around 90% accurate. This test is for just a basic Borrelia, just the Lyme bacteria panel. It's about between $250 and $300. And then if you want to test for all the other infections, it's about a $1,200 test. Mm. We were willing to pay for this test and we were begging our primary care physician, 
All we need is your signature and a blood draw right here in your office so that we can get this test. And the doctor said to my husband, if I sign for you to have this test, when, when it comes back negative, will you finally admit that there's nothing wrong with you? Jaw drop. Yeah, yeah. Again, devastating. Like there's a lot of gaslighting when people mm. have, and it's not just Lyme, there's a lot of different complex chronic illnesses that people get very gaslit. Mm. But when the test came back, the sad thing was when you test for Lyme, they call it bands. They basically take your blood and they test it against a bunch of different reactants. They call it reactants. And they do 10 of them. And each one is called a band. So at the time, you had to have five positive bands with these reactants in order to be considered positive. My test came back with four. Mm. So technically, I was negative. So when that, so then when we ended up with that naturopath that was working with my son, and she started asking us about our health, um, I shared with her that we had, the doctor did sign for that test and I shared the results with her because I carry around like the big three ring binder with every test in it. Yeah. And she said, yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire. She said, I've never been a believer in it has to be X amount of bands. She said, if something is showing up, then it's in your body. We right. treat. Because if you and didn't have anything, there would be zero bands. Like it wouldn't show up. Right, exactly. So again, you know, one of those crazy things, I'm sure if anybody is in Lyme world that is listening to this, <laughs> they're like, oh my gosh, they get it. But the thing too with Lyme disease that a lot of people don't realize is that Lyme does not necessarily have to be a diagnosis through testing. Mm -hmm. You'd be diagnosed with Lyme based off symptoms. You just have to work with a doctor who understands what the symptoms are and can put that diagnosis on your chart. And in many states, people end up working with naturopaths because mm -hmm. they understand that. They'll, they'll still, they'll sign for you to get the tests in most states. Sometimes New York's a little tricky, but get that testing done. And a lot of them, a lot of naturopaths especially f believe in the where there's smoke, there's fire and will, will treat for mm -hmm. Lyme disease when they're seeing results like that. So you find out that, yes, you have Lyme and you start looking at the treatments and you know that the traditional Western treatment of antibiotics is just not an option for you. Mm -hmm. And you start looking at different things. Where did energy work fall in line? Is this something that you were into beforehand? Because you worked no. at a hospital before this, I right? I did. I did. So I worked at a hospital. I was the office manager for two programs. I worked for the diabetes program and I worked for the cholesterol management program. Mm -hmm. So not exactly like hearing about Lyme disease in these avenues, yeah. but I learned a lot, you know, about patient care, mm -hmm. the medical system, the inner workings of the medical system. And before I worked at the hospital, I had actually worked in health insurance. So, I mean, whew, that was a, that was a rough job, but I learned a lot about how to navigate the insurance company and appeals and all of that stuff. So I came at it with all of that experience. I was a very conventional medicine brain. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're sick, you go to your doctor. I think that's how most of us in this country are raised. 
when you're sick, you go to your doctor and they give you a diagnosis and you take a treatment and you get better and you're done and you move on with your life. And when we were diagnosed with Lyme, that was our foray into natural medicine and opened us up to natural medicine. And then what happened was, you know, we were, I would say we were like 80% better. The herbs and the oils and treatments that we were doing with the naturopath, they were really making a good impact. And, you know, and we kind of just, we were naturally positive about it because honestly, we were so happy to have a diagnosis. Mm. When we started taking things, we were starting to feel better that it was life was getting a lot better at that point. So I had a, um, I was, I'm a homeschooling mom. My, my son actually just graduated last May, but at the time we were still in the throes of homeschooling and another homeschooling mom said, Hey, my kids have both graduated. I'm a massage therapist by trade. She posted this on one of the mom boards and I work with people that have like complex issues with their health, with cancer and people that need a lot of sensitivity when they're having massages. So I connected with her and I said, Hey, would you come over and do massages? Cause I'm in Southern California for those of us that live here, we know like mobile massage is a big thing. Like people come to your house. You don't necessarily have to go to a clinic. So she came to our house and she got all set up and she gave me a massage. And like, I had no idea what Reiki was, what energy work was, like not even in my brain at all. But I knew what a massage felt like, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us know what a massage feels like. It was the most amazing massage of my life. I was seeing colors and I was feeling like all these ripples of warmth going through my body. And I'm like, this is some kind of magical massage. I don't know what's going on here. And I, going into the massage, had such bad brain fog. I I couldn't ever do a conversation like we're doing now. And when I, and she was working on my neck and she held my head in her hands and it was just amazing. And when I got off that table, First of all, my brain fog was gone. It was like magic. That was probably the most miraculous thing that happened in in our entire healing journey was that particular massage. But I said, that was a wonderful massage, but what else was happening? Because I, and I told her, I'm like, I was seeing color. At one point I was seeing like birds, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, th- that was just different than anything I had ever experienced. And she said, oh, you're the first person that's ever said that to me. I was doing a little bit of Reiki while I did your massage. And I said, okay, here's the deal. From now on, can you just come and do that? I don't care so much about the massage, but can you do the Reiki? Because it it felt amazing. So then it was a couple of times a month she would come and do Reiki. And it just, it you know, now I understand what it is. It's helping to remove some of the blockages that we have in our body and relieves tension and everything else. But I didn't know that at the time. Um, And that was my first kind of foray into energy healing. And then once we crossed that line into remission, I was like, you know what? That was just so impactful. I need to go and learn how to do that myself. So I took a class And then I kept taking classes and my husband was taking classes and we became, we call them Reiki masters, Mm -hmm. which is just when you've gone through the the full training. I also went on to become a medical Reiki master so that I can, I have certification to do Reiki for people that are in hospitals and in operating rooms. Um, So it really became a passion, but it, 
helps all of us. And to this day, we still do Reiki on each other every week. It's just because it just feels so good. So for people who don't know what Reiki is, what is a good explanation for people who have not experienced it? And let's be honest, might be sitting here thinking, okay, this just took a turn. (laughs) Yeah, They're like, oh, we're going into cuckoo land. We just took a left. What is happening? (laughs) Yeah. Reiki is, it's a Japanese energy healing technique. It can be done hands-on or remotely. And how it works is that you're really relying on the quantum energy, right? When, When you're moving energy, you're moving it basically with your thought. And I know like science fiction movies, they sometimes show that person, like if you concentrate really hard, they can move an object. There are ongoing experiments, honestly, by our government that they are doing experimentation for things like that, because they have found that um, when you're using quantum energy, you can move things. Now on a lighter scale, when we're doing energy work, what I'm doing, like when I'm connected with a client, of course, I always ask permission, can I connect so that I can look at your energy field and do some work. But what I'm doing is I'm getting a sense of, I'm, I'm, I'm moving the energy through, not my energy, energy that is intended for that person. And I'm moving it through their energy field. I'm basically looking at like, where is it getting hung up? Where might there be a blockage? So an example that most people have felt in their lives of an energetic blockage is a headache. A headache is a major energetic blockage when you've got so much energy, so much information moving around your brain that sometimes it causes us to, especially like a tension headache when we're getting in the front, we'll get a headache from that. That is a type of energetic blockage. If you get nervous and let's say you have to speak and all of a sudden your throat, you have to keep clearing your throat because you're getting nervous. That's an example of an energetic blockage. It's your body saying, oh boy, this part of the body is going to be affected and get it. it's getting nervous. So your body will try to go into protection mode and make it, oh, well, they're nervous to talk. So let's make it so they don't have to talk. Let's block up the throat, <laughs> right? Or another example is if you start to get really nervous and your stomach starts to get queasy, Those are all, that's biology mixing with the energy system of your body to create some kind of protection. So when I'm looking at your energy, I'm actually helping your energy to relax and come out of that heightened state so that you the energy can keep on flowing. Another example that I like to share with people of how this kind of works between two people, because people are like, how are you connecting to somebody else? I understand how those feelings are within me, but how does that work with somebody else? And the example I like to share is, if you've ever had a time where all of a sudden, somebody that you haven't seen or talked to in a really long time, they keep popping into your brain. And then all of a sudden, they call you or you bump into each other. And you're like, oh my gosh, I was just thinking about you. Well, what that is, is it's your energies are kind of talking to each other and energy attracts energy. Mm. So it will try to bring you together. It's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. I was just, let's get together and catch up because you bumped into each other. Mm. Those are the kinds of ways that energy is at work in our life all the time. Um, So when we're doing energy work, I'm connecting with a person 
you know, when I have their permission, it's yes, I'm going to allow you to connect with my energy. And then we can do that, that correction, that energetic correction in their body. And it can be very powerful. And the way to the most basic of descriptions is it's like saying where we each are Wi-Fi and we're connecting like through Wi-Fi like that. I think it's interesting because everybody has, I think, their own idea of energy and what it is. And some people maybe pay more attention than others. But on just a basic level, feeling things like energy, like you you can tell when some people like walk into a room. Yes. Right? You can just feel that energy. And there's no, you know, I mean, I you may not be able to describe it or to say what it is. You just, it's like this force that you can feel. Like if you've ever seen, like if you've ever had the chance to meet somebody who is maybe a really powerful public speaker or a mm-hmm. really like a celebrity or someone that is, that kind of feels larger than life, they mm-hmm. have that energy. And so yes. you can definitely feel other people's energy. That was, you know, when I first heard about this stuff, I was like, what? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but then I started thinking, it's like, wait a second, you can feel other people's energy. And it's mm-hmm. even if you don't even aren't even looking at them walking into the room, you can tell when they're in the room or you can feel somebody looking at you or you can feel somebody when they're really focused on you. And that's really was the very basic level of where I stepped into like, oh, yeah, there is this thing. Mm-hmm. And if there's this thing with one person, there's probably something for every single person. And why would it be that you can't connect? Like, of course you can't. Right. Right. And, you know, and there are some people that are like, I'm not into that. And that's totally okay. Like, yeah. I have people that I work with every day that we never talk about the energy aspect of healing. But my whole thing is I feel when somebody is healing from a complex health condition, we always start with the physical. Mm-hmm. We all do because that's how we're brought up. Get sick, go to the doctor. We start getting some of those physical things under control. It's okay. Let's start looking at the energetic Let's see what else is going on in the body. And then, okay, now let's start going to the emotional side of things, right? Like I'm an emotion code practitioner. So that's Mm -hmm. when I'm I'm tapping into the energy field the same way that I am with Reiki. But what I'm doing is I'm asking your body or your subconscious, because we're doing that work through the subconscious, but I'm asking it, okay, what is the trapped emotion that is in your energy field that's holding you back? that you're now ready to release. And Mm -hmm. the subconscious will, it will release that information, you know, and I'll be, I I do like a a chart and I'll read off the emotions and there's, there will be a reaction in the person's energy field. And then I'll know, okay, this is an emotion that is stuck in your system. We start releasing those and all of a sudden people are sleeping better. They're feeling better. They're like, oh, I feel lighter because we're, we're moving that energy through their body where before it was stuck. So I believe that, you know, you have to address the energetic component. And then I also believe that the other thing that I've really learned a lot about in the past year is balancing the limbic system of the brain. Because when we have these conditions going on, we're thinking about things a certain way for so long that we actually change the neuroplasticity in our brain and it becomes harder to heal because we're thinking in one direction all the time and it's traumatic. Illness is traumatic. Mm -hmm. So when we have traumatic things that happen, 
our brain is affected. And that cascades, it goes through the vestibular system of the body, the nervous system of the body. We, we can't come out of these heightened states. We're in fight or flight all the time. So it's like all of my work goes through all these different phases of healing. It's not just physically healing. So there's a lot of ways we approach it. Yeah, I think a really good example is the we're good on paper kind of a thing, yeah. <laughs> yet yeah. we're still not feeling quite like something's still off. Yeah. And, you know, I have a diagnosis. I'm taking the medication. I am doing everything nutrition wise. I am not eating certain things. I'm taking, like, you can list it off and it looks great on paper. Mm-hmm. But then we know just in a gut kind of feeling like, but then like, why am I not feeling awesome? Why right. am I not feeling like everything's fantastic? And often that's when people start saying, maybe I should stop eating this. Maybe I'm allergic to this and I don't know about it. Or maybe mm. I should add supplements. And I feel like there's just this whole side of things that mm-hmm. is maybe sometimes overlooked because it's something that we've never experienced before. We don't really understand it. We think it's too woo. I, I'm always of the of the thought of, just trying it. Like, yeah. Like even if it works because it's a placebo effect, because you think so, great. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and it's funny too, because when we've reached a certain point in healing that it's okay, what's next? Because like you said, something is still off. People are, they're dead set. They do not want to do any kind of energy work or anything. And I'll say, what do you think about me? Just, can I just like connect to you for maybe five minutes just so I can go in and just look at what your energy is doing. And and I'll get in there and maybe I'm seeing like, there's like a big spot of blocked energy on their hip. And I'm like, okay, has something happened to your right hip? And then they're like, what? <laughs> like, you know, all of a sudden I'm touching on something. They're like, yeah, I fell on that hip or ultimately we connect to something that they've never mentioned to me. I had a woman who she kept on, it was like over her left ovary and we had done several sessions. And every time we worked on that left ovary, it was like just strong. um, I don't want to say a blockage, but there was like a pocket of energy that I just couldn't get it to move. And I finally said to her, I said, have you had something traumatic happen? You had a miscarriage or, and she was like, I did. I had a miscarriage. And And she said, and I said, I'm seeing it on your left side. And she goes, oh my gosh, it was my left side that hurt Mm. so much the day that it happened. But acknowledging that for her and her being able to talk about it, it cleared it. When I gave her some tools to use to say, you know, let's, let's honor your baby. I feel like there's still some grief there. We made a whole like little ritual for her to do to honor her baby and to, to release that energy. And it was amazing how her healing accelerated after that. That one thing that was keeping her anchored in her illness, what was really going on, there was grief. She was mm-hmm. having grief. And grief is one of those things that anchors anchors us in, or trauma, you know, yeah. which very often grief and trauma are tied. But um, sometimes it's not a matter of doing like a whole Reiki session. Sometimes it's just a matter of, can I just take a peek and see what might be going on? Mm-hmm. And we start to unlock deeper layers. And it doesn't mean that the person has to tell me their trauma either. Like sometimes I'm like, I'm identifying this, I'm seeing this. And I, you know, I'll say to them very often, this is tied to, you know, Mm -hmm. just depending on what it is. I'll say we oftentimes see this when there's trauma 
You don't have to tell me anything, but I'm going to help you clear it. If you agree to it, usually they'll say yes. Yeah. But then all of a sudden here comes a new level of healing. And then they're starting to, to have that comfort with trying this stuff. I think sometimes people are, are a little bit radical and maybe too far off from the way that the person is used to thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I try to really meet people with where they're at with the terminology that they use, with how their brain might think about things. Like I, I shared with you earlier, I did a, a talk to a room full of 45 computer engineers about Reiki. And I didn't go in there and talk about the more woo-woo terminology. I use, let's talk about quantum energy and how it works and why it works in your body and how to move this energy. And when I had people with me and at the end, it was like, who would like to experience this? We can give you a few minutes of Reiki today. And not one person turned it down. Hmm. All of them wanted to try it. When you're when you can meet people with where they're at and speak in their language, mm-hmm. they're going to be more receptive to trying these things that normally might seem really out there. Were you scared to get in front of all those engineers and talk to them about no. Reiki? No. You know, I just, I'm at this, I, I was I was already at that point then too, but I'm at this this point in my life where we need to share things that are helpful Because the way things are going in the world right now, if we don't learn to bend how we think a little bit, we're never going to meet in the middle. Mm. And I think that the healing comes when we open our minds and we are open to experiencing new things, no matter how out there it seems. Um, So I just really use it as a way to try to bring people together. And it's okay if somebody's like, this is crap. That's okay, because at least now they can say they know a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. And maybe down the road, they're going to get some other exposure to it that will start to warm them up. I think there's some statistic like the human being needs 7 to 12 exposures to something before they feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, if I'm exposure number one, of course they're going to be like, yeah, no thanks. Mm -hmm. But the more they hear about it, the more they'll open up to it. And maybe that will be the thing that helps them to heal down the road. Yeah. You know, I hope. Yeah. I mean, some people, it's it's the last resort because they're like, well, I've tried everything else. I might as well. And Absolutely. for other people, it's a fun, hey, why don't we try it? Because right. you never know. You just right. never know. Yeah, absolutely. I get a lot of, I've tried everything. I've mm-hmm. done everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, You've done a lot of things, but you haven't worked with me yet. So buckle up. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) I am bound and determined to, Mm -hmm. you know, talk about things with them that maybe they hadn't thought about before. A lot of times with treatment, it's just changing up the order that they did things. Like we were talking about detox and drainage before. If you start out taking a boatload of supplements to kill things off, but you haven't opened up your detox and drainage, of course, you're not going to think those supplements work because it made you feel sick. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you're know you going to be like, what is this detox and drainage stuff? So it's like, sometimes it's just a matter of let's change up the order. And I'll ask people, give me a list of everything that you have for supplements, because I get that this is financially draining. So let's use what you have, because I'm willing to bet that you have a lot of what we're going to need to make a major impact on your healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just really try to help people look at things differently, look at things more creatively, 
than maybe they've been able to do in the past. Let's change it up. Let's navigate this whole thing a little bit differently. And I think it's helpful for a lot of people. They need somebody to say, okay, yes, those things are great. And okay, they haven't worked so well, but let's try it like this. Most people are willing to try it because they are, they're desperate and they're sick and they need help. Yeah. Or something that I always think about and I'm always very mindful of every time I add a new supplement or something. My question is always like, how do I know this is working? Right. There's some supplements that I know, like, yes, I know this is working. There's other ones that I read are good for me. And I'm like, hey, I could go with that. And then I'm like, is it working? I don't know. I can't even tell. So it's probably a matter of saying, hey, these are your supplements. Maybe we don't need to pay for these three. Maybe that's not helpful for what it is that you need. I do very targeted supplementation for people. And mm-hmm. um, and I start people one at a time, very slow. And I always recommend that my clients track. Like I have a like a pretty easy tracking system that I've devised for them so that they don't have to have a big journal where they're writing all their supplements. And, oh God, nobody has time for that. <laughs> so I just have them do a really like rate your day on a scale from one to 10, write it on the corner, write why you rated your day that way. And I tell them, like, we don't want to hear every symptom, right? Because we know that you have a myriad of symptoms every day. We want to know the key things. Oh, I'm rating this day a two, which is thumbs down. I'm going to stay a two because my arthritis was really bad that day or I had a migraine. Okay. But my goal is to have them see something that's measurable. Okay. So if you start a supplement, you write it on the day. And then we watch what happened for the next week after you started taking that supplement. And sometimes it takes them a a little bit of time to work. But um, if they're not feeling worse, then that's a win. And then, you know, okay, now let's start to carry through and see what's going on. Because ultimately, you know, I want them to be having like between eight and 10 Mm -hmm. for their day. And in the beginning, I'll tell people like, don't worry if you're not rating your days, those high numbers, I want you to be honest, you know, but Mm -hmm. we start really slow and we watch because like you said, like, how do I know if this is working? Because we're going to monitor it and we're going to see proof. Sometimes I always start very low dosing. Sometimes we're not seeing any progress because the dose is low. But if you've got a sensitive system, I don't want to start you on a high dose Mm -hmm. because I want your body to be able to take it in and figure out, okay, how am I going to use this to support the immune system and keep things going and mm-hmm. you know how it goes. Yeah. Um, slow and steady. Slow and steady. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming and sharing about all of this. I think it's a really great way to help maybe make sense of some really complex issues and complex things that go on in our bodies, especially when you have some kind of chronic illness or multiple sure. chronic illnesses. And Thank you for just giving us a window into what this is like, what's going on, and hopefully hopefully demystifying it for some people. Hopefully some people are going to maybe go out and try some kind of energy healing. Sure. I hope they do. I would love to hear people's experiences with it. But I really appreciate it. I could talk to you for like another two hours because there's so much <laughs> that we didn't even get to that I'm like, oh, I wish we could have talked about this. <laughs> part two. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm always up for a part two. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this. I'm going to have all of your information in the show notes 
that you can link to in the description for this episode. But really quickly, if someone wants to reach out, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. My website is dollholistichealth.com and my last name is spelled D-A-H-L. And I'm also on Instagram under the same handle and my direct messages are always open. So those are probably a couple of really quick, easy ways to get in touch with me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Andrea. I appreciate it. If you like the show, don't be shy. Please give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening right now. To see complete show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit andreahansencoaching.com. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, take care.